Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,566. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. I'm revved up and so excited to share with you today a very special guest, Ryan Kerrigan. Ryan Kerrigan is the business manager for the Porsche Club of America, otherwise known as PCA, a racing program. In his role, he's responsible for the relationships with all of their corporate partners, as well as logistical requirements of the series. He works directly with the club race chair, Wes Dillard, to manage the operations of club racing, including their championships, within the series and their club sports series sponsored by Pirelli. They have over 1,800 licensed racers with, and they run 25 to 30 races annually in North America, probably not this year, but in a normal year. Ryan writes for the PCA magazine Panorama, a great publication I've gotten for decades now. He's a retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel with four Air Medals, multiple decorations, and he flew six combat deployments in a B-1 shortly after the attacks of September 11th, 2001. We'll be back to talk with Ryan in a minute, but first, some words from our valued sponsors that make Cars yeah possible. So buckle up, sit tight. We're going to go PCA racing today. We'll be right back. Did you know Covercraft is much more than car covers? They offer protection for the inside of your vehicles too. Sunscreens to keep your vehicles cool and protected from the sun's damaging UV rays. Dash pads that do the same so your dash stays looking new without all those ugly cracks and fading. The seat covers that are easily removed for washing are awesome, but it's their custom fit floor mats that I really love. Is your vehicle getting a little long in tooth? Well, there's no better way to give it a new car look than with a custom fit floor mat and trunk mat. I replace mine every few years with something a little different, contrasting, just to have some fun. It stops that urge to buy a new car, and more importantly, it protects the factory carpets, so when it's time to sell your vehicle, it looks brand new. They're easy to clean, they secure to the floor for safety, and they look oh so good. Don't forget your trunk, too. Custom fit trunk liners for sedans, coupes, and SUVs are perfect protection for the factory carpets from all those things that can stain and damage the floor of your vehicles. Check out Covercraft.com for a huge number of styles, colors, and options that'll make you smile. And I've got a deal for you. If you use the code YAH120, that's Y-E-A-H-120 at Covercraft.com, you get 10% off your Covercraft order. So go to Covercraft.com today and use the code YAH120 at checkout. Tell them Mark sent you. That's Covercraft.com. Covercraft. They've got you covered. What do you do after running a race team for 27 years with over 100 professional wins, multiple wins at the 24-hour of Daytona, and a win at Le Mans? Well, if you're Kevin Buckler, a racer and the racing group's team owner, you create Adobe Road Winery. Located in Petaluma, California, he and his team have created a winning combination with the Racing Series, four ultra-premium red wine blends that are in a class of their own. Like racing, these wines comprise of art, precision, engineering, science, and a whole lot of fun. You can choose from four blends titled Redline, Apex, Shift, and the 24. 
Today, I'm going to tell you about Redline. It's a rich and complex blend delivering a taste of ripe blackberries, black cherry licorice, and a hint of toasty oak. An added very cool option is that this features the world's first interactive wine label. That's right. When you pour the wine, the three-dimensional tachometer actually hits the red line. It's incredible. The Racing Series is a killer gift for the automotive enthusiast in your life, and I've got a deal for you. If you use the code CARSYEAH, all one word in all caps, when you go to checkout, you'll get $10 off any purchase of wines from the Racing Series. The wine ships promptly and arrives quickly right at your door. Use the code CARSYEAH at checkout for $10 off of your purchase today. There's always a seat at the table for excellence with the Racing Series. Go to adoberoadwines.com and use the code CARSYEAH to save $10 today. Cheers! Hey, Ryan, welcome to Cars Yeah. Are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am. I got the uh, five points ready to go. All right. Good to have you here. My listeners know I'm a big-time Porsche fanatic, so I'm really excited to have you here on the show. And you and I uh, really kind of got to meet last Saturday night. We were on uh, Kevin Buckler's Adobe Road virtual wine tasting program where I got to kind of meet you there, which was pretty fun. We had a good time that night, so I appreciate you tuning in for that. Before I jump into the questions, I want you to tell our listeners one little thing that most people don't know about you, Ryan. Uh, Well, I think one thing uh, some of the people I work with now know because we've talked about it, but I actually uh, was an English major in college. Really? Uh, So it's it's taken about 21 years for me to to professionally implement anything that I learned in college uh, after my my foray into the military. But uh, yeah, I was an English journalism major. I wrote for the school paper. I covered the hockey team and football and all that. That's really where I saw myself going until uh, until I joined ROTC and went into the military. Well, first and foremost, thank you for your service to our country. Brilliant. And I'm talking to a guy that uh, is very, very bright because you're flying a B-1. Holy moly, what an insane aircraft. I mean, how do you go from that to driving Porsches on the street? Uh, it's, you know, it's uh, speed's all relative. So at 500 feet on the B1 on a low level, we would do three football fields a second. Oh, my gosh. Uh, that was that was our planning speed was about 600 miles an hour. You translate that to you in the car. Obviously, the speeds are different, but the sensation is much greater because you're at ground level. You have the ground rushes right there. Um, and really, it's just that kind of person and machine interface. You know, you, you, you work with the car, you get to learn the car, just like you work with the plane and you try to master all of its systems. There's a reason that a lot of people who fly are also into cars and racing. There's a, there's a very good analog there. I would think so. Well, it, it seems uh, wild to me. I, I grew up down in Southern California and there was Miramar Naval Air Station down there. And I remember mm-hmm. many mornings uh, surfing out at Black's Beach, which was near the college I went to, UCSD. And you'd be out there early morning dawn patrol and the F-14s would come over the hill and you wouldn't even hear them coming because there's about 300 foot cliffs there at Black's. And they'd come over the, the hill and then you'd hear them and then you'd look out to the ocean. You see those afterburners would light up, blue flames coming out back and they just 
disappear. And it was just like, you know, Top Gun. I'm like, whoa, that's so cool. Uh, I can't even imagine uh, the fun that you guys had. Serious fun, obviously, because flying aircraft like that is not all fun and games. It's very, very serious. But oh my gosh. Well, we could talk about that, but we're going to talk about cars today. We're going to talk about the PCA, which I've been a member of since I think high school. Long, long time. But before we jump into it, I want to ask you for a success quote or a mantra, some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. I always say it's a nice way to get the inspirational tires smoking since we're talking about PCA racing here on Cars. Yeah. So Ryan, take the wheel or the stick, as we should say. Okay. Uh, For me, this is something, uh, it's actually a poem from an American poet named Edgar Guest. It's called It Couldn't Be Done. Uh Uh, You've probably seen it. It's something that for me has kind of popped up in my life at various times, really kind of when I needed it, I think. First read it in high school, and then I started getting college, and it's come up several times from my career. Most recently, last time I saw it, Audi was using it for a Lamar commercial. But I'll read it for you here. It's fairly short. Somebody said that it couldn't be done, but he, with a chuckle, replied that maybe it couldn't, but he would be the one who wouldn't say so till he tried. So he buckled right in with a trace of a grin on his face. If he worried, he hit it. He started to sing as he tackled the thing that couldn't be done, and he did it. Somebody scoffed, oh, you'll never do that. At least no one ever has done it. But he took off his coat and he took off his hat, and the first thing we knew, he'd begun it. With a lift of his chin and a bit of a grin, without any doubting or quit it, he started to sing as he tackled the thing that couldn't be done, and he did it. There are thousands to tell you it cannot be done. There are thousands to prophecy failure. There are thousands of po- to point out to you one by one the dangers that wait to assail you. But just buckle in with a bit of a grin. Just take off your coat and go to it. Just start in to sing as you tackle the thing that cannot be done, and you'll do it. It's, it reminds me of a Dr. Seuss book in many it, it ways. It does. It has a nice little uh, kind of sing-song quality to it. But yeah. really, it's just a really good reminder that, you know, that almost everything that is impactful in the world, somebody probably said that that couldn't be done. And it just took someone to say, no, I, I think it can and, and put in the effort and put in the work and, and pretty soon you'll do it. And uh, that's something that I've had to be reminded of several times in my life. But uh, it's always nice to kind of pull back to that. So I have a framed copy of that that hangs in the wall in my office. Very nice. Very nice. How have you incorporated that concept into what you're doing with the Porsche Club these days? Well, a lot of it is, you know, there's a a model in racing uh, that's been around for a long time as far as, you know, how the systems work. And right now, you know, we're in a time where pandemic aside, technology is always kind of changing how things are done. And anytime something new comes along, the old guard is going to say, no, that can't work. That's not how we do it. We, we don't do it that way. We've never done it that way. And that's probably true. You have never done it that way. But there's a reason that some of these things change and, and, and some of the things can help you change. And so, you know, when you're working with racing, there is a lot of just uh, established status quos. And uh, I think we've done a lot to try and change that, to modernize the program, try to really reach out to people that maybe don't think that they could go race their Porsche or that racing is for them to break down stereotypes, break down barriers and really just kind of show everybody that the people that are racing in club racing are there for fun. We don't have prize money. Uh, at the end of the year, if you're one of the top three, you get a shiny plastic trophy. Um, <laughs> you know, you're, you're there for, for fun and camaraderie and, you know, and bragging rights with your friends. It's just, it's all that environment of just going out there and having fun and truly enjoying a car that you love and pushing yourself to be that much better, whether it's by the clock or by, you know, beating one of your friends in your class. 
it's really just there because you have a passion and an enjoyment for something. Well, there's so many cool layers to these club racing events, and it all starts with uh, driving performance events. Uh, that's how I got started in vintage racing was with the BMW club, going to the track and driving a, an M3 and seeing if I was comfortable at speed. Do I want to spend the money on a race car? And Porsche has so many different layers and levels of different kind of racing, but you can start for those listeners who might be interested in this you can start with driver's training courses with the club go out there they have somebody with you kind of and it really helps you with your street driving as well i know that when i started doing that it helped me a lot with avoidance type things and quick responses and so forth and it cuts down on your your need for speed on the street which uh in the state i live in you just can't do it i mean they they just they're so strict not like going out of california where everyone's doing 90 on the freeway and seems to be no problem for anybody but here it's uh very very strict well let's talk more about what your role is involved there what you do what are all all the fun things you get to play with there as part of the porsche club in this program yeah my my job was really created when i got hired they hadn't really had a person in this position before and pca being a a, a volunteer organization you know there's 135,000 plus members in pca wow. the staff of the national office is 18 people so it's a very small group of people who actually have their job to be in the administration and, and kind of, you know, running uh, of PCA, everybody else is, is volunteers, whether it's the executive council, the officers that really decide what is going to happen with PCA to the chairs for individual programs. So my job was created because sometimes, you know, it's hard to get to the volunteers during a work day. They have other jobs. And so they may not be able to talk to, you know, Pirelli or uh, Porsche Design or some of the companies that we work with at two o'clock on a Tuesday. And so they really needed to take a lot of that work off the plate of the volunteers and put it onto somebody that was just going to be there during work hours and could focus on just that. And so that's where I came along. So my primary job is to be that go-to for all of our sponsors and partners to recruit new companies, work with our existing companies, make sure that uh, you know we negotiate the contracts and all that, but then also just make sure that everybody is benefiting from the relationship to make sure that we are promoting our sponsors, make sure that their racers are, are aware of who's out there. Uh, and then there's also, as you can imagine, as a organization that is a nonprofit organization that is an, an amateur racing group that doesn't have prize money and all of that, there's still all the same logistics of running uh, an IMSA event or some other kind of professional race that goes along with these events. So we have, you know, equipment that needs to get from from one race to another and try to organize and how that gets done and make sure that uh, if we need, you know, more hats for Victory Lane, I've got them at my office and I ship them to where they need to go. And it's just all those little things that kind of go on behind the scenes that, you know, just makes it a better product for for our racers and for our members. Yeah, absolutely. What's a favorite thing for you about what you're doing with this organization and, and this racing program? For me, it's, you know, I, I when I came in the job, I thought, you know, hey, I'm going to get to go to the track. I'll get to see these great facilities that, you know, some of them I've only watched on TV, like Daytona and Sebring and all that. And that has been really awesome. But it's really, it really has been meeting some of the people that were involved and learning more about the program. I was a PCA member for five or six years before I got the job, and I really didn't know anything about the PCA club racing program. When I hear club racing, the picture I had in my mind was not at all what our program actually is. Mm. Never did I imagine 250 racers at Sebring with, you know, 60 to 70 factory race cars from Porsche uh, in a group 
at one, you know, at one time, uh, or a fleet of spec boxsters or 944s. I never imagined any of that. So meeting people like, you know, meeting Lee Keen and all these people that started that I used to watch on TV and never realized they started racing in PCA club racing, just yeah. like Kevin Buckler with TRG, you know. They came from this program, and then they went pro, and then and a lot of them have come back to the program. And meeting the team members and owners and principals who you know used to race here or used to build engines for this place, it's been really fascinating to see who actually shows up at these events and really kind of get to know them a little bit. It's a fantastic program. Are there other car clubs that do anything this robust comparatively? Not really. I mean, I think you know everybody kind of has their program. SCCA obviously is is the entire program is geared around doing car events, whereas PCA or club racing is a very small subset of the club as a whole. Um, so it's, it's really a different comparison there. The BMW car club, uh, they've had race series before. What we do is, is from, from what I know, the largest, as far as a single mark, uh, you know, running, we have more cars at at some of our events than some professional races do. And, And we're limited to only Porsches. So, you know, we're already dealing with a niche within the the racing community where you have to have a Porsche engine car to race with us. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty interesting to see the volume of racing that we have when we, you know, are essentially limited uh, to who can come race with us. Yeah, it's phenomenal. It's just, uh, you know, it's rabid uh, fanatics, uh, us Porsche people. So, uh, yeah, we, yes. we love our cars <laughs> and our racing. Well, let's talk a little bit about a big challenge or a big failure that you've maybe faced along the way in your career. Could be your, lo- your life, whatever you want to share with us. But this is more about the lesson learned, how you moved out of that in a positive direction. So take us on a little journey. Yeah, this one actually is is back from my previous life. Uh, it's it's and it was really it, it was a failure in judgment, I think, on my part. I was on a track uh, in my career in the Air Force, and I had been selected to go to the Air Force's Weapons School, which is basically the Air Force's version of Top Gun. And when you go to that, you you go through this program, and if and if you graduate, because it's extremely difficult, um, you kind of are set on a different path than your peers. It's kind of a, you become a tactical expert and you become an expert in the squadron, but you also kind of get groomed for future leadership jobs uh, that can go towards colonel and general and and really a a long career. I was selected to go do that. And I decided that I didn't want to go in that path and that I kind of knew I was going to do my 20 years and then get out and find something else to do in life. And so I had to withdraw my name from that and that did not go over very well with a lot of my leadership and some of my friends. They thought I was crazy. Uh, you know, how do you turn down this opportunity? All of that. And I kind of stuck to my guns. It was like, you know, that was a great lesson of me of doing what I knew I wanted to do, even though it was maybe a difficult thing, as opposed to doing what everybody thought I should do. Mm. Uh, and, and it did send me on a different path. It, it closed some doors for me, for sure. But there were doors I, I didn't really think I wanted open. And so I was, I've always been completely at peace with that decision. And I think it worked out exactly the way I intended it to. It didn't diminish my ability. It didn't diminish, you know, my ability to instruct and have an influence on the the future generation of aviators that came through our squadrons. But it allowed me the freedom to kind of make my own decisions to a degree and, and have the career I wanted to have versus what other people thought I should have. You know, I've had guests on the show that have dealt with this before, worked for big companies where upper management thinks, no, I think you need to go down this path. And they'll send somebody down that path where that individual really kind of thought, that isn't the path I want. 
but you feel like you have to take it. You know, there's pressures around. Maybe it involves a, a promotion, more pay. So if you're married and have kids and a house and a mortgage, you feel like, oh, this is the way I got to go. It's better for my family, but it never turns out that well, you know, because it isn't what right. you wanted to do. So uh, I'm glad, uh, yeah, to use a pun here, stuck to your guns and uh, did what you wanted to do because uh, no doubt you're much happier for it. So you got to do what you want to do in life. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those pressures uh, can be so much that you end up doing something you don't want to do. Heaven forbid you spend 20 years in your life doing something you'd really never wanted to do. Uh, so, yeah. so I'm glad that you did that. Let's take a short break. Thank our sponsors uh, once again here. And then we'll be right back to talk a little bit more about cars and Porsches and Ryan's uh, personal uh, affection for the automobile. So sit tight. We'll be right back. My favorite collector car magazine is Keith Martin's Sports Car Market. I've been a subscriber for decades. Sports Car Market is the Wall Street Journal for enthusiasts and collectors. It's your monthly must-read. Whether you dream of owning a collector car, maybe you have two, or maybe you've got 200. Sports Car Market has been around for 31 years, and it's filled with valuable articles, intelligent write-ups, and the latest auction sales. Go to sportscarmarket.com and subscribe today. And don't miss my weekly podcast with Keith Martin titled Buy, Sell, Hold. It's the essence of collecting. We talk to the movers and shakers in the collector car world. Here's a couple deals I have for you just for listening here on Cars Yeah. If you use the checkout code Cars Yeah, you'll receive a 50% discount on your digital subscription at Sports Car Market. That's an exclusive offer from Cars Yeah. And guess what? Here's another deal. If you'd like to get the actual magazine, use the code BSH for buy, sell, hold. That's code BSH. And you'll get $10 off your annual print subscription. That's right. $10 off. Both of these are exclusive offers here at Cars Yeah for Sports Car Market Magazine. Just go to sportscarmarket.com and get your deals today. If you're listening to Cars Yeah, you've probably spent some time working on your favorite ride. But how confident are you working on your finances? You may be able to rebuild a fuel injection system, but can you decipher the details of a mutual fund? If you're like me, investments, insurance, annuities, budgeting, and other financial concepts may seem a bit daunting. But what if I told you there's a book that describes these subjects and more in an easy-to-read and a very humorous way? My friend Chris Kimball, CFP, a longtime sponsor and past guest here on Cars yeah, has written that book, and it's titled The Saga of Ike and Penny, a couple's humorous journey through the confusing world of finance. It's a fun look at things you need to know, everything from investing to effective ways to get rid of credit card debt, and it's probably the only book on finance with a VMAX on the front cover and a classic Mini Cooper on the back. The book's available at Amazon for just $10, and this book will dramatically improve the direction of your financial future. I gave copies to each of my children. All securities are through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Christopher Kimball Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Get your copy, The Saga of Ike and Penny, today. All right, Ryan, we're back, and I want you to share a story that instigated this, uh, maybe this personal passion you have for automobiles. Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you knew that you were indeed a car guy? For me, you know, I, I don't have the, the beautiful story of like working on the car in the garage with dad or grandpa, although my grandfather was a master mechanic and he could build anything. My, my father was in the military as well, so I didn't, I never really grew up too close to my grandfather. Um, but for me, honestly, it's, 
heavily influenced by my time. I'm a child of the 80s and 90s. I was born in 75. You know, when I started watching TV and movies, I was Dukes of Hazard, Knight Rider, Miami Vice. I could name every car. I knew what they looked like, sounded like. I had friends that were, you know, a little bit more well off than our family, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't strange at all to see a BMW or a Jaguar or a Porsche in their garage. Uh, I still remember vividly a friend of mine when I was a kid. His mom took us for, to go get ice cream in her Jaguar XJ, oh, nice. which was just. It was actually running that time, uh, which was good. But it, <laughs> I mean, that thing was just a, such a monster. And uh, I had a friend who whose dad had an '89 three series BMW manual transmission, and I remember driving around in that car in the evening and seeing that at the time trademark red lighting on the interior of the BMW. And I just I'd never seen a car that had red lights before. It was right. such a neat, different thing, and all those little things just kind of really captured me and. From then on, it was always just looking at one ads in the Sunday paper just to see what cars were out there on dealer lots and, and what was for sale. And sure. It's kind of always been an obsession of mine since I was probably nine or 10 years old. Cool. Well, let's uh, let's segue into maybe that first really special car, a car that you had saved up for, always wanted, you finally got in your garage. What was it? And maybe share a memory you have about that ride. For me, it was my my first real car. That was right when I got out of college. Um, I went and did the the stereotypical thing, and I bought my lieutenant mobile, uh, which is what they usually <laughs> call it. Mobile. For <laughs> the second lieutenant, you're fresh out of college, you've got a great paycheck, and you're going to go and spend it on a car. Yep. And that's exactly what I did. I bought a <laughs> uh, a two year old. It was a nine. Or, yeah, it was about a ninety four uh, Mitsubishi three thousand GT. Unfortunately, it wasn't the big twin turbo. It was the SL, but it was still this beautiful green metallic with a tan interior. And even though that car only had two hundred and forty six horsepower, uh, for me, you know, I came from a eighty eight Honda Accord with two hundred and ten thousand <laughs> miles on it. That car was a spaceship, and it looked great. It was the fastest thing I'd ever driven. Great six speed manual. The cockpit of the car was angled all towards the driver. It was just just so much fun. Unfortunately, it didn't stay very long as I got hit pretty bad oh, no. um, after I owned it for only a couple of weeks, and it spent a few months in the shop. A couple and then, weeks, uh, and somebody yeah. took it out. Oh no! Yeah, it had some. The, the frame needed uh, a lot of time on the frame straightener, but they did fix it. I got it back, but unfortunately, it was one of those where the car was just never quite right. Yeah. And I knew that problems were on the horizon, so I I sold it. But that was fine because that led me to a Miata. And that was a totally different revelation to me. I've, it was the first time I, I realized that maybe I didn't need to have all the power in the world, um, although I would later ignore that completely with a string of Corvettes that were highly <laughs> modified. But, uh, you know, that 3000 GT, just having that first really beautiful sports car that that for me at the time handled really well and drove like, you know, faster than anything I'd ever had, um, that car will always stand out for me. Yeah, no doubt. Well, here's a bit of an introspective question for you, Ryan. If you woke up tomorrow and you were a vehicle, you were actually manifest as a vehicle, not what you want to be, but how you perceive yourself as a vehicle, what would you be and why? This is going to sound really cliche because of what I do and where I work now, but I, I honestly think I would be my current daily driver, which is a Porsche Macan. Oh, nice. I've got a 2016 Macan S, and, and I think the reason I say that is because you know it is extremely versatile. 
you can take it to the track and do a DE weekend with it. You can autocross it. You can drive it on the on the road trip on the highway for hours at a time and be comfortable. And you can even take it out on a dirt road, you know, forest service road. Uh, I wouldn't do any heavy off-roading in it, but it'll handle itself on a in a you know a dirt road. And that's kind of how I see me. You know, I'm I perform a little bit better than I look. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think the Macan is a good looking vehicle, but it's not uh, classically handsome as they would say. And, and that probably fits me too, but <laughs> I just like it because it'll excel pretty much anywhere you put it. And that has always been something that I try to do. You know, I've liked those since they came out with them and the size, I guess at this point, my wife and I's lives, our kids are gone. She's driven X5 for a long time. And I've always kind of thought maybe that might be a next vehicle perhaps. And, uh, the local, Porsche dealership here in Tacoma asked if they could borrow my turbo for a new car launch they were doing with the new 911 a few months ago. And they said, would you like to borrow one of our cars to take home and have for a few days? I'm sure they were trying to get me to buy a car. And I said, well, you know, I've always been interested in the Macan. Well, he brought out one of those, I think it's Mamba Green. Oh, yes. And I just like, oh, man, that's cool. It was the turbo. And so, yeah, I was really impressed by that thing. I came home and parked it in the driveway and you know i said to my wife hey check out what's in the driveway and she goes you didn't buy a new car did you and i go no no it's just a loner and uh she didn't even want to ride in it because I'm, I'm sure she was like no nah, you're not going to take me down this my car's fine i'm happy with my car i don't want a new car right now but it was really fun to drive i really enjoyed it and i loved that color it was just killer color and I, my car is yeah. a metallic orange my turbo so to park those next to each other it's like two little jelly beans in a jar they just really cool but you know both my wife and, and i our daily driver cars are quite old i have an 05 m3 and she has an 04 x5 so it, the cars now have so many tricks and gadgets i mean it's just I mean, I'll rent a cheap car when I'm traveling and it has more stuff in it than my BMW does, much less my 33-year-old Turbo. But it's a nice car. I was really impressed by that thing. Yeah, I, I really. it's really, you know, they, they call it an, an SUV or a crossover, but for me, it's really a hatchback. It's it's like a you know you took a golf R and gave it more power and raised it up off the ground. Right. It's uh it's it's just such a I've got Pasm and Sport Chrono on mine and you know you put it in sport suspension and that thing will stay flatter than any vehicle of its size should around a corner and it's yeah. uh it's a blast. You know somebody you may know Ray Schaefer who works at the mm-hmm. Atlanta. Yeah, uh, I believe he's driving one of those right now. Um, I think yep. he had a Cayman for a while, and now he's got um, a con, so he really likes that as well. And I know uh, another past guest, Spike Ferriston, I believe he's got one. His wife, I think, drives that car. So, yeah, they're really nice. So maybe uh, one of those is in the future. And I love that color. That green is just killer. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, definitely want something unique and different. Well, we're entering the last lap. Since you're a guy that likes to enjoy a, a brisk ride in a car, I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some quick blips of that Macan throttle. So here we go. What's one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your many successes over the years? Uh, for me, it's got to be adaptability. I don't I don't know if it's uh, some magic that my parents did when I was growing up or the fact that I'm an only child, but I seem to be able to, to kind of blend in where, wherever I'm at and find a way to, to you know, make friends and get along and, and do, do well in any environment. Um, I've literally been in the infield of a NASCAR race with shorts and a flip-flop drinking a Miller Lite, and I've been in the owner's box in a coat and tie talking about scotch and I, I can i can make my way in any of those areas and that's something that has helped me a lot and, and it's really because i try to understand where people are coming from as much as possible yeah um, to try to figure that out 
I would suspect some of that came from growing up in the military. My wife grew up a uh, military family. Her father was in the Marine Corps for over 30 years. So they moved a lot. So you had to be adaptable, adjustable, uh, always, you know, figure out your new environment really quickly and kind of try to make that work for you. So mm -hmm. uh, I grew up in the same house my whole life. In fact, I planned on buying it and living in it my whole life, but that didn't work out. But um, yeah, and I think the house we've been in here now, we've been here for 26 years. So my wife said, I've never lived anywhere that long. This is really weird to be in the same house that long. So I would assume that military upbringing and having to move around a lot did that for you? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think as you say that. I think the longest I've ever lived anywhere was about six years, at least for like the same house. Yeah. Um, you know, outside of childhood, I was lucky. We moved around a lot when I was really young, so I got to kind of stay in the same place through like uh, you know most of elementary school and high school. But once I got out of college. Yeah, I don't think I've lived in the same house more than six years. Yeah, yeah, that's a, it'd be so weird for me. How about if I could arrange for you to have a drink or a meal with anyone in the automotive industry or racing industry, living or deceased, who would it be? You know, for me, I, I have to cheat here. I have two. Okay. I, I always had the same answer. Every time I hear you ask this question, it's always been Bob Lutz. Oh, um, yeah. Well, Maximum Bob, you know, just such an amazing history. Everybody thinks of him as the, the, you know, all the bravado and the American cars and the Viper and the, driving the Cherokee through the plate glass window. But he also had a lot to do with BMW and the BMW we know today and the creating the three series and the five series. And so, I mean, he, he has such a great history and career and uh, his kind of attitude of he has no fear to make a decision and go with it. And if he's wrong, he He's wrong. And if it works out, then, you know, more power to him. Uh, and the second would be after I read A.J. Bame's Arsenal Democracy, I really would want to talk to Edsel Ford because I know a lot of people say they want to talk to Henry. And I've read a lot of things about him after reading Arsenal Democracy. I think Edsel would be far more interesting because he had to deal with Henry Ford. Yeah. And that really just caustic relationship of father to the son it, it, there were so many things he had to overcome and he was always just trying to to you know be a success and to make his dad happy and his dad was really kind of a jerk brutal guy um, yeah yeah and and so yet he was still successful and the things that he did to make Ford into what it was during World War II and to, to get all those bombers produced yeah. um, against the will of his father. It just It was just fascinating. I would really love to talk to him about that. Yeah, AJ's been a guest here twice on my show, and his, uh, of course, his, his book for us, Car Guys, Go Like Hell, I believe is like the second most recommended book here on cars, yeah, next to Garstein's The Art of Racing in the Rain. When I met AJ, that Arsenal Democracy had been recommended a few times, and I got it, and it's it's absolutely fascinating read. It's just uh, brilliant. We're going to talk about a book in a minute, but let's, uh, let me ask you this. What's the best automotive advice someone else has ever given you? Uh, there's so many things, but I think the the thing that really resonated with me is that, uh, you know, outside of, of eyes up, look down the road for your track driving is that, uh, you know, oil and brake pads are cheaper than engines and transmissions. So <laughs> yeah. uh, don't be afraid to change the oil as much as possible and, and stop on the brakes versus trying to, uh, you know, do a poor downshift or in an automatic, you know, let the engine brake for you. Right. Um, brake pads aren't that expensive. Transmissions are. Absolutely. I learned that. After 12 years of racing vintage cars, that's for sure. How about a resource? Is there a go-to for you out there that you'd like to share? Uh, for me, I mean, I, I have PCA.org is, is always a great one for the latest news of the club. But for club racing, it's PCAClubRacing.org. Uh, 
Um, we post our schedule up there, race results, uh, basically anything that's going on. If somebody is new to racing and they want to learn how to get into racing, um, then that's where they can go and they'll find out. They'll You can download all the forms, look at our rules, all of that stuff. As far as general car stuff, every day I have kind of a ritual of I pull up road and track. I look at Haggerty's new media. They're doing some fantastic stuff with all the writers that they have on staff now and uh, and, and bring a trailer just to see what's on the market, what things are going for, whether I have the money for it or not. I, I kind of always like to know what's going on and, and what could be. Yeah, it's a dangerous place to go every morning because you end up going, oh my gosh, I've been looking at cars for an hour. I got to get back to work. Lots of cool stuff. I try to do it before work, but... Yeah, in fact, uh, somebody just sent me this morning uh, a couple links going, hey, what do you think about this car? I'm like, it seems like this during this uh, COVID thing, I've become the... Uh, uh, my wife says the psychologist to my car guy friends. I got two calls yesterday from people. I need to talk to you about this car. I'm thinking about selling. What should I do? Or a car I want to buy. And an hour later, you're like, holy cow, I got to get back to work. So oh, it's great, but it's great fun. But yeah, uh, Randy Nonnenberg bring a trailer. When he was on my show was when he launched their auction. They were not doing a lot of people think, oh, they've always done that, but they didn't. They just reported on cars sold. So he's done uh, and his teammates have done a tremendous job. We talked about books that uh, book by A.J. Bain, The Arsenal of Democracy. Is there another book you'd like to recommend or is that the one? Yeah, I actually do have another one. Uh, and uh, it's, I think it's only been recommended once on your show by the author. It's uh, My Greatest Defeat from uh, Will Buxton, the okay. uh, Formula One reporter. It really is an amazing uh, the fact that he was able to sit down with all of those drivers from all the different aspects and disciplines from Formula One to NASCAR to Indy to touring car racing and everything and get them to tell that story, uh, much like you ask, about their their worst moment. Mm -hmm. And what was most interesting is not uh, is that so many of them were not actually racing stories. Um, you know, some of them were stories you knew, oh, I know about this particular crash with this driver, but to get the stories that their perception of of what was their worst moment had nothing to do with racing. It was something completely different. To read the one the uh, chapter with Nicky Lauda and the whole aspect of the airline crash that he went through uh, with his own airline was, yeah. I mean, absolutely stunning. Really, really, really good book. Yeah, Will was a guest here on the show, and uh, when he brought that book out, and it is a great book. And yeah, you mentioned that because just the other night I stumbled across uh, the movie Rush uh, and watched that once again, and. Uh, that story about Nikki and how they were blaming his airline, I think his pilot for that crash, but it turns out it was. They were, uh, yeah. Yeah. It no, was, it was a flaw with the airplane. The airplane, yeah, absolutely. Well, those are great books. I'll make sure I put listings of those on Ryan's show notes page. Just if you want to find those, go to carsyad.com, type in Ryan Kerrigan. There's an extra N in there, though. It always trips me up. C-A-R-I-G-N-A-N, but it's Kerrigan, Ryan Kerrigan. Uh, ask him sometime about his uh, elementary school teacher who was convinced he could and spell his own last name. Not so. <laughs> I'll make sure that these books are listed there. There's over 1,600 books listed on that area of the Carsia website under guest recommended books. Uh, you can fill a whole library with some very cool books that my inspiring automotive enthusiasts are, have shared with us here on Carsia. All right, we're up to the checkered flag here, Ryan. This is a fun game to play. I'm going to buy you any cool collector car on the planet today. doesn't matter where it is or who owns it. I'm going to park it in your garage. But of course, you're a listener of Carsia, so you know the rules here. It's the only one collector car you can have. You can't sell it to buy a bunch of other cars with, and you have to drive it, so it needs to tick a lot of boxes. So what can I buy today, Ryan? This has been a tough one. My theoretical answer for this has changed so many times when I listen to the show. <laughs> yeah, mine but too. But <laughs> I, I, think, 
<laughs> and I'm sure it'll change again, but I think right now I would have to say a Carrera GT. Okay. And the one that was recently redone by the Porsche Classic Center with the green oh, custom yeah. painted one. Yeah. That I the car to me, it's you know I I love a convertible. So you've got the open and closed option with the Carrera GT. It has that rawness to it. Uh, it still has the manual transmission. It's an it's an absolutely timeless design. And while it has a reputation for being tough to drive and all that, if it's your only car, you have so or only collectible car, you have a lot of time to really get to know it and learn all the nuances. And I think that's a car that would never disappoint you to take it for a drive. Whether it's the sound, whether it's the, just the engagement, or just looking at it, that's a car that I think will be just the best thing to drive all the time. You know, I recently had uh, Alex Grappo. He uh, started a company called Drive Coffee. In fact, his show, uh, the day we're recording this, just went up yesterday. And he, he sent me a picture of him. He got to drive one of those things. That was his car of choice uh, as well. Uh, and by the way, listeners, he, he offered a cool kind of deal. If you love coffee, and this is a really neat business, he's offered a 20% off if you use a Cars yeah code when you go buy Drive Coffee. So I'll put that plug in there for him. Uh, his whole brand is really spectacular. It's all around cars. Kind of like Kevin Buckler's Adobe Road, the racing series, Wines. Uh, and those fantastic bottle labels. You don't want to throw those away. But uh, yeah, the Career GT is such a cool car, and I've seen it in a lot of different unique colors. But that green one uh, that was featured in Panorama, uh, I believe, right? Yep. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it's just really, really cool. And green's not really a color that I've always really gone after, although my first new car was uh, metallic green. It was a 1979 Scirocco, the first-gen Scirocco's when they came out. Uh, yep. And it was green, and yeah, it was kind of cool. But then we talked about that Mamba green Macan. So maybe green is coming back in my life. I think it's one of those colors that is kind of coming back a little bit in the car industry. Things do cycles every 30 years, it seems like. So, all right, yeah. well, I'll get to work. I, at least I know about the car and where to find it for you. So I can go uh, grab that and park it in your garage. Ryan, you've taken, right. us, taken us on a fun flight today, a fun drive today around the track. This has been great. Really enjoyed getting to know you better. I want to thank you for sharing some time with us. Before you drive off into the sunset in that green Carrera GT, could you give us a little parting piece of wisdom or guidance? Uh, just that, you know, just to understand that what what may happen, what you may think is like the worst possible outcome may turn out to be the best thing for you. And I've had several times in my life where what I thought I wanted to happen is not what happened. And sure enough, it was absolutely the best thing that could have happened. And so, you know, we used to say uh, in flying, you have to have a flight plan to go fly. And that flight plan is just the point that you deviate from to actually get to how you're going to get there. It's it's a plan is just a plan. It's not actually how it's going to happen. It's just to get you moving. And uh, so you got to be ready to take that little left turn. You know, it's a great concept. And I've always heard that analogy to flight. You know, you set a flight plan, but you're never going from one point to another. There's always things that are causing you to deviate in the case of aircraft, the wind, the weather, clouds, whatever it might be. You've always got to adjust along your way to get to your destination. And of course, enjoy that trip that you're heading down and uh, it's not all about the destination what's the best way for people to follow along with you and what you're doing uh for for club racing uh pcaclubracing.org or, or just pca club racing on facebook and instagram it's the same 
all one word. It's very easy. Um, for me, I, I have uh, a blog that I've been writing on and an Instagram account that goes with it. And that's uh, mydrivingpassions.com uh, and mydrivingpassion on Instagram. And basically, it's just kind of a little bit of photography, writing. So when I'm at events and I see whether it's the LA Auto Show or whatever I'm at for that day or a race, if I see just a really interesting car or a good setting, I try to take some pictures of it and throw it up there. Very cool. Well, listeners, I'll make sure I put links to all these. Follow along with Ryan. He's a guy that's definitely chasing his passion and having fun. Uh, I'm a little jealous. He gets to hang out with all the PCA guys all the time, but uh, great group of people. And of course, Vu's been a guest here on the show and mm -hmm. Rob and uh, Rob Sass, the editor of uh, Panorama and uh, a lot of different Porsche folks. So uh, we're in good company in Porsche land here at Cars Yeah today. This is great. Absolutely. Ryan, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your Porsche stories with us. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!